Okay, everybody listening, really quick before we get started, we do have a trigger warning in the first part of this episode. We're going to be talking about sexual assault. So please, if you're listening and you are not comfortable with that, please click off or at least fast forward for like the first 15 minutes of the podcast episode to get to the case. Besides that, I do have a charity for sexual assault that I do want to mention before we get started in today's episode. If you're listening, the RAIN Foundation, R-A-I-N-N, it's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, and you can donate to them, look up any kind of information or statistics on their of sexual assault on their website, and they have plenty of resources that you're able to find information on. Just a couple quick statistics that I do want to give all of the listeners. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes, that victim is a child. And only 25 out of every perpetrators out of 1,000 are actually convicted. If you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, you can contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline for any kind of assistance at 1-800-656-4673. Again, that number is 1-800-656-4673. Let's get started. What's up, what's up, Suspect listeners? I hope that everybody had a great holiday weekend. I hope that everybody was able to spend some time with their families or relax or spend your weekend cleaning. Whatever you wanted to do over the long weekend, I hope that everybody listening was able to do that. I personally had some family in town, so I was able to spend some time with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and cousins that I haven't seen in honestly like three or four years now. So it was really, really um, a great weekend for me. I was overjoyed to spend time with them and to just be around the people I love. I feel like that's something that I've really learned to cherish after 2020 covid Everything that's happened within the last year and a half, I've really learned to just slow down and cherish the time that I do have to spend with my loved ones. So I hope some of you were able to do the same thing. And if you weren't, I hope that you were able to relax, get your mental health back on track, take a bubble bath, listen to some podcasts, binge watch all your favorite TV shows, whatever peace and relaxation looks like looks like to you. I hope that everybody was able to do that. (laughs) Um, So this week, we're going to be talking about the Tulsa Race Massacre, aka a little bit about Black Wall Street. They kind of go hand in hand. So we are going to be talking about that. Before we jump into today's case, I do want to let you guys know Um, Of course, if you haven't checked out the website, suspectpodcast.com, go check that out. Get yourself some merch. We should have some new designs coming out, hopefully within the next month or two. So just be on the lookout for those. If you haven't left a rate review on iTunes yet or on Apple Podcasts, I mean, please go do that. It literally takes two seconds and really, really helps our suspect audience grow. So you guys are probably going to hear me say this at the beginning of every episode. Sorry if it's kind of repetitive, Um, but some of you listening haven't done that. So I'm going to keep repeating it until you do it. Okay, please help a girl out. It takes two seconds. It's free. It doesn't hurt at all. So help me out. (laughs) If you are a new listener this week, welcome. This is the Suspect Podcast, a true crime slash comedy podcast. I'm not really funny, but I try to be. So we'll say true crime with features of comedy every once in a while. Yes, we are a true crime comedy podcast. I don't know why I said we, it's just me on here. But yeah, so every week we're going to be diving into probably some notorious cases and probably some cases that a lot of you have not heard about. It kind of just depends on 
what I find when I'm researching every week. So we're going to be diving into these cases every week, talking about our opinions on them, talking about our opinions on the investigation, our opinions on the trial, what we think could have went better, what we think should have been handled differently, all of that stuff we're going to be diving into every week. So if you're new, welcome. We're so happy to have you. We are constantly growing. So that's all I can be thankful for. Like I said, each episode will get better and better as we continue on our journey to grow this podcast. I appreciate the new listeners and all my OG listeners that have been there from the very beginning. I remember I remember when I first started Suspects, like I'd been thinking about it for a while and then I just decided to do it one day. And I was so, so nervous for the first episode, but Thankfully, I have some great supporters that have been there since literally day one telling me that they're proud of me and they support me and sending me ideas. So if you're one of those people, thank you. I love you guys so much and I appreciate you. Um, I did not forget about the giveaway. I need to reach out about that. You guys know, obviously, everybody in the world, I feel like just has a lot going on. So I am going to find out about the giveaway, the cup this week. And the next episode I have, I will make sure that you guys are updated as to when that will be on the way to whoever the giveaway winner is. So yeah, I think those are all the updates we have. iTunes or Apple podcast website cup share this podcast with a friend. I guess that's the last thing I can say. If you haven't shared this with a friend, please share this with a friend, put them on, have them join our little family. And oh, last thing is if you're not already following at suspect podcast on Instagram, make sure to do that. I'll post about every episode on there, along with some pictures pertaining to whatever case we discussed. So you guys will be able to kind of have a little bit better of a visual with these cases. Make sure you're on the Instagram so you can see the pictures, be updated as to any new information that's coming to suspect. So yeah, I think those are all the updates that we have when it comes to suspect. There is something that happened last week that I do want to discuss, and I'm sure most of you at this point who have a phone or a TV or are in touch with what's going on in the world at all have heard about this, but obviously we know that Bill Cosby was released from um, authorities last week. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into that and kind of discuss the details of why that happened. So we'll be right back right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so diving into this whole Bill Cosby catastrophe, we'll call it, Um, it's a lot of information. You're definitely going to be able to find even more information than what I'm giving you. So again, for those of you that are new, I'm always encouraging my listeners to do your own research. I'm going to give you what I found, but please feel free to do your own research. Send me whatever you found that I didn't mention or anything arguing against what I said. I'm all for it. For those of you that have been with us, you know what I'm going to say pretty much every week when I'm giving you new information. So yes, please do your own research, but I'm just giving you um, the information that I found. The information that I'm going to be talking about today is from a Syracuse article um, that was posted just two hours ago. It's the celebrity news Bill Cosby freed from prison after court overturned sexual assault conviction.html. So please go reference this article if you kind of want to follow along when I'm going through it. Um, there is a couple other different articles that I'll post in the show notes um, pertaining to this case as well that I do feel like is necessary information, but we're just not going to go through all of it today. We're just going to go through the basis. Um, 
if we went through everything that's happened in the Bill Cosby catastrophe, I would literally have to do probably an episode or two. So maybe we will one day, but as for right now, I just want to talk about the breaking news with him being released from prison. Last week, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction. The court found that an earlier prosecutor had promised not to bring criminal charges against Cosby in exchange for Cosby testifying in a civil court case. The court said that the promise barred the later prosecutor from bringing the charges that led to Cosby's 2018 conviction. So Bill Cosby, who, you know, was known as America's dad for the longest time, I don't know how old everybody listening to this podcast is, but anybody my age and probably up in age has seen at least a handful of these episodes. I I grew up watching The Cosby Show. I grew up, shocked me when this happened and when this came out a couple years ago, um, I didn't see it coming. I'm sure a lot of you who are older than me probably did because I know that there's been some instances in history where he's made comments or done things that were definitely pointing towards this being the case. But, you know, me being 24, I grew up on the Cosby show. And the next thing I heard about Bill Cosby was that this happened. So definitely shocking. But so Cosby, who is now 83, has served nearly three years out of a three to 10 year sentence after being found guilty of drugging and violating Temple University sports administrator Andrea Constant as his, at his suburban Philadelphia home in 2004. Bill Cosby was the first celebrity tried and convicted in the Me Too era. So Bill Cosby was arrested in 2015 when a district attorney armed with newly unsealed evidence brought charges against him literally just 12 days before the statute of limitations ran out. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court said that District Attorney Kevin Steele, who made the decision to arrest Cosby, was obligated to stand by the previous prosecutor's promise not to charge Cosby. There was no evidence that this promise from the previous prosecutor was ever put in writing. There's nothing that they can find on it where this was actually said or done. It's just being said now that this is what happened. So Justice David Wetch, writing for a split court, said Cosby had relied on the former district attorney's decision not to charge him when the comedian gave his potentially incriminating testimony in Constance's civil case. So basically, Cosby was like, okay, I'll testify. Just don't arrest me. I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to do. Just don't convict me on this. And they said, okay. The court called Cosby's arrest an affront to fundamental fairness, particularly particularly does anybody else ever have problems saying that word sorry I don't know why I can't say that correctly when it results in a criminal prosecution that was foregone for more than a decade as Cosby was set free from the state prison in suburban Montgomery County his appeals lawyer Jennifer Bonjean said Cosby should have never been prosecuted for these offenses which is just like Jennifer Jennifer, sweetheart, I get what you're saying because, quote unquote, this previous prosecutor made a promise to him. But, Jennifer, how do you, as a woman, as a woman, support this? I don't give a fuck that you're a lawyer. I don't care if this is your job. Some Somewhere inside of you, something has to click where it's like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't take this case because I know that he's guilty. I'm a woman. What do I look like? I don't know. I don't know sometimes what lawyers are thinking, to be honest with you, when they take on cases where they know they shouldn't be taking them on. Like, I don't know. If you're a lawyer and you're listening to this, let me know. Why do you guys take on cases, one, where you know that they're guilty? Like, is it just because you think that you can win? Like, do you not feel any kind of like guilt or like resentment towards your client? I, I don't really know. I'm not a lawyer, so I couldn't answer that, but definitely intriguing. In a statement, Steele said Cosby went free 
because of a procedural issue that is irrelevant to the facts of the crime. He commended Andrea Constant for coming forward and then added, my hope is that this decision will not dampen the reporting of sexual assaults by victims. We still believe that no one is above the law, including those who are rich, famous, and powerful. Which I love this statement, right? Because it's like, I wish every person that's like somehow involved with law enforcement felt like this. Like whether you're a police officer or a lawyer or a judge or yada, 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 like whatever your position is legally with the law. But the fact is, is that it's not. We've seen multiple people, usually they're white men, usually they're white men, but multiple people who are rich, famous, and powerful get off time after time because money talks and that's what people seem to care about. So I love that Steele says this, but unfortunately that's not the case because when stuff like this happens, yes, sexual assault victims don't want to come forward because what happens time and time again is that their trauma seems to be more mocked than concerned about. So I don't blame them one fucking bit at all. I don't. And it really breaks my heart that these victims are just continuing to be traumatized time and time again throughout the entire thing. Already, when you decide to come forward with information like this, that's already hard because not only are you having to repeat the story to someone, but you're having to go through an investigation and a trial and it's constantly just being put back in your brain that this happened to you. So finally coming to terms with the fact that you want to do this and then having the person get off, like I can really just imagine that's like a fucking stab in the heart and it breaks my heart. Like as a woman and as someone who loves women, and it's not just about women because we know that men can be sexually assaulted too. So uh, it breaks my heart. If you are listening to this and you in any way have been sexually assaulted, I'm so fucking sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that law enforcement maybe didn't make you feel as protected as they should have. I, I'm sorry for everything, honestly. So obviously a bunch of different people had different things to say about Cosby being released. Some of his former coworkers on the show, um, and just other celebrities in general were tweeting in support of him being released from prison. And then obviously other people were not so happy. So just a quote that I took down, and this is from Amber Tamblin, who is a founder of Times Up, which is an advocacy group for victims of sexual assault. She said in a Twitter post following the release, I am furious to hear this news. I personally know women who met, I personally know women who this man drugged and raped while they were unconscious. Shame on the court and this decision. So a total of four judges formed the majority that ruled in Cosby's favor, while three others dissented in whole or in part. Peter Goldberger, who is a suburban Philadelphia lawyer with an expertise in criminal appeals, said prosecutors could ask the Pennsylvania Supreme Court for a re-argument or reconsideration, but it would be a very long shot. Even though Cosby was charged with only the assault on Andrea Constant, the trial judge allowed five other accusers to testify that they too were victimized by Cosby in the 80s. Prosecutors called them as witnesses to establish what they had said was a pattern of criminal behavior on Cosby's part. Cosby's lawyers had argued on appeal that the use of the five additional accusers were improper. Which I get, like, maybe from a court standpoint, but it's just, like, to the judges, like, to the judges that ruled in his favor, it's, like, you guys had other people as witnesses telling you, like, this happened. And, like, I'm sure most of you listening know this already, but, it like, it wasn't just this one woman. This is just the one that he got convicted, they were trying to convict him on. Or it wasn't just the five people that came up to testify in court there was a total of almost 60, if not more, women that came forward and said that this man had sexually assaulted them at some point or time in some way or fashion. 
So it's just like to have these witnesses, you're having them in court speaking to him. So traumatizing them all over again. And then you still don't rule in favor of the victims. You rule in favor of the accused. In favor of the rapist. In May, Cosby was denied parole after refusing to participate in sex offender programs behind bars. He has long said that he would resist any treatment programs and refuse to acknowledge wrongdoing, even if it meant serving his full 10-year sentence. Prosecutors said Cosby repeatedly used his fame and family man persona to manipulate young women, holding himself out as a mentor before betraying them. Okay, so in the deposition that spelled Cosby's downfall, the comedian said, under oath, under oath. So he openly fucking said this. That he used to offer quaaludes to women that he wanted to have sex with. And for anybody that doesn't know what a quaalude is here, I got a direct definition for you. Quaalude is a central nervous system depressant that acts as a sedative and a hypnotic. Okay, I don't even think we need to go into that. I think that both, not both of you, everybody listening knows what both of those means. Okay, so Cosby eventually settles with Andrea Constant for a $3.4 million lawsuit. Portions of the deposition later became public at the request of the Associated Press, opening the floodgates on accusations from other women, more than 60 of whom came forward to say that Cosby had violated them in some manner. So I just gave you guys all that information and this motherfucker is free. So that really, really um, rubs me the wrong way. I, I mean, I'm sure it rubs a lot of people the wrong way, especially the victims. It just it breaks my heart, and I just think it's a perfect example of the justice system not doing their fucking job, period. I don't care. Like, I just, guilty as fuck. I mean, and then you look at Harvey Harvey Weinstein, who was arrested. Let me see. Hold on one second. Yeah, so Weinstein was arrested and charged in May of 2018. And was sentenced to what, 23 years? To quote me if I'm wrong, don't quote me, but I think like 23 years. So it's just like, <sighs> stuff like this, I hate to fucking say it, but stuff like this continues to fucking happen because our courts and our officials and all the people that are supposed to be bringing justice to people that have been traumatized or impacted in some sort of way they don't care. Like, it seems like you find one in 10 that actually care and actually want to see change and actually want to see justice and actually want this to be prosecuted to the full extent. Like, how long are we going to allow privileged rich people to get away with this? It just really, it really disgusts me. So I just wanted to give you guys that information on that. I know a lot of you had probably heard that he had been released, but I didn't know if you knew in depth as to why. So I wanted to give you guys that information. Again, if you find anything additional about that investigation, trial, anything about the victims, please send that over to me on at suspect podcast on Instagram or at sus. I'm not at, I'm sorry. Please send that over to me at Suspect Podcast on Instagram or send it to my email, um, which is suspectpodcast1 at gmail.com. Send me all of that information to either of those places and I will talk about it on here. So, yeah. Whew. Well, after that, I'm going to take a little bit of a breather because I am visibly stressed after talking about this rapist being let off. Um, again, in the show, not again. In the show notes this week, I'm also going to add a couple links for some sexual assault organizations that you were able to donate to, where you can get more information on sexual assaults, where you can report one, where you can help somebody find a therapist if they've been through that. I'm going to have all that information in the show notes afterwards. Um, Please share that information with your friends, anybody that you know that's been through this, or anybody 
in general, I guess. This is all vital information that we all have at our fingertips that we need to be taking advantage of or helping those who are hurting around us take advantage of. So definitely check the show notes for that information. We're going to take a quick break and then jump into the case today right after this. Thank you, guys. Okay, guys, so I mentioned that the episode this week, we are going to be talking about the Tulsa Race Massacre. This, honestly, like, this is something that I just learned about, like, within the probably the last year and a half, two years, I am still in my journey of educating myself on all of these things that took place in our history that you know, they either didn't teach us in school or they didn't really deem us necessary to teach us at all, whether that be in our families or our friendships or yada, yada, yada. So I can openly say that I am very naive as a white woman. Um, Thankfully, I've learned so much, uh, even over the last five years, that I am so passionate about continuing to learn and helping others learn and really just understanding the way things were back in the day, all the way up to why things are the way they are today when it comes to different races, especially between Black and white people and things that, unfortunately, the Black community had to go through. And it really, really fucking breaks my heart that, you know, we're in 2021 and people still don't really understand the tension or, you know, the disappointment from the black community towards the white community, when in reality, it's because of events like this that a lot of people don't know about. Um, So yeah, let's just go ahead and dive into that today. If I, again, please do your own research on this. If there's anything I'm missing, especially if you're listening to this and you are a person of color and you feel like I didn't say something correctly or I didn't go into enough detail on something or I didn't address something in the way I should have, please reach out to me. I'm speaking directly to my people of color right now. I, like I said, am very naive. I'm still learning. I, every day, am doing the best I can to educate myself on these matters and how I need to act accordingly. So, Yes, any person of color, send me anything that you like or didn't like about this episode, please, so I can correct that for you and do better moving forward with the episodes. We're going to talk a little bit on the background before we get started, and then we'll talk about the massacre, and then we will talk about um, some leads and facts that have just happened recently within the last month or two. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. Bear with me as I go through these notes. Again, like I said, this is something that unfortunately I just learned about within like literally the last year and a half. So I tried to find all the information I could to give those of you listening a full picture of what actually happened. But okay, let me just get started. I'm giving myself anxiety. (laughs) So we're going to do a little bit of Backwood on the Greenwood District featuring a robust local Black economy with money circulating between Black residents, Black banks, and Black businesses. As with similar famed places, such as the Memphis Beale Street, Greenwood was an enclave of Black individuals flourishing at a time when the oppressive Jim Crow regime forced Black communities to generate and maintain their own capital and they were largely cut off from the broader economy. The Greenwood Cultural Center notes that this local economy had such good financial circulation that the average dollar would stay within the community's network of households and firms for about 19 months before being spent elsewhere. Greenwood was likely the richest black community in the United States and racist neighboring white communities perceived its economic flourishing as an existential threat. In in an article for The Atlantic, the authors write that before the massacre, Black residents were doing better than in comparable cities in the region, and that the massacre negatively impacted home ownership, marriages, wages, and employment in the subsequent decades. So we're going to talk about the cause of the actual race riot. 
So on May 30th, 1921, Dick Rowland attempted to enter the Drexel Building elevator. Although the exact facts are in dispute, according to the most accepted accounts, Dick trips and he tries to save himself from falling and he grabs the first thing that he could at the time, which happened to be the arm of the elevator operator, Sarah Page. Startled, Sarah screams and a white clerk in a first floor store calls the police to report seeing Dick flee from the elevator. The white clerk on the first floor reported the incident as an attempted sexual assault. Which is like, okay, one paragraph into this, and it's just like, bro, I cannot with this racist shit. Like, as a white woman, like, who loves all people and is very accepting of every gender, sexuality, race, like, I literally do not care. Like, it just breaks my heart that this was, like, the normal, like, and really, like, the black community still feels like this isn't the normal. Like they they feel like a white person at any time could just turn on the crying show and they're fucked. And it's like, it sucks that that's a fucking harsh reality. And it sucks that there's individuals that know that that's the kind of privilege that they have. And it's just like, Oh my fucking God, bro. I can't, I can't. So Dick Rowland was arrested the following day on May 31st, 1921 with the headline, Nab Negro for Attacking a Girl in the Elevator. That day's issue of the Tulsa Tribune newspaper claimed that Dick had attacked Sarah Page and torn off her clothes. A subsequent gathering of angry local whites outside the courthouse where Dick was being held, they began to spread rumors that Dick Rowland had been lynched, which alarmed the local ballot, which obviously alarmed the local black population. 75 African-Americans arrived at the courthouse armed to defend Dick Rowland, where they were met by 1,500 white people. Shots were fired, and 12 people were killed, 10 white and 2 black. A riot by the white population was sparked, and it lasted 18 hours, during which time a white mob, including Tulsa police officers and members of the National Guard, started fires and airplanes allegedly dropped firebombs made with, made with turpentine, turpentine, turpentine. How do you say that? I don't fucking know, guys. I'm not, I'm not up to date on my bomb lingo, okay? While looting homes and shooting black residents, men, women, and children at point blank. So they're they're basically just fucking up the whole city. They're literally fucking up their houses, killing people, ruining everything that they fucking can. The destruction included 35 city blocks burned down and 1,256 residences in Tulsa's prosperous African-American neighborhood of the Greenwood destroyed, resulting in over 800 injuries and 37 confirmed dead. 25 black and 12 white. Later accounts have suggested that the number of deaths were actually way underrecorded and that the actual death toll was at least 300 African Americans, which sounds more believable to me just based off of my research of doing this case. It doesn't make sense to me that it was only 25 people. I definitely think it was a lot more. Over 10,000 surviving African-Americans were left homeless after the town of Greenwood was completely fucking destroyed. Completely fucking destroyed. They wiped that city the fuck out. The city that the Black population had strived and worked so hard to create for their community. They took it all out. They say Rome wasn't built in a day. And that's absolutely the truth. Greenwood was not built in a day, but Greenwood was fucking destroyed in a day. The case against Dick Rowland, which is the case that literally sparked all of this, was dismissed in September 1921. The dismissal followed the receipt of a letter by the county attorney from Sarah Page, in which she stated that she did not wish to prosecute the case. I wish, I'm at fucking work right now, and the babies that I nanny are sleeping, I wish I could smack the table. 
Following the race massacre, both Dick Rowland and Sarah Page left Oklahoma, and they were never seen or heard from again. We're going to talk about the aftermath of the massacre. According to witnesses and historians, city officials rounded up survivors at gunpoint into concentration camps, preventing many Black people from burying their loved ones. Survivors recounted seeing bodies of Black people dumped into the Arkansas River, piled onto trucks and trains, and buried in mass graves. So let's just stop there for a second. So it's awful that this happened. They were literally, specifically, personally attacking this community strictly because of race reasons. Strictly, strictly. And then after all this is over, the case gets dismissed and they say, damn, it fucking sucks that that happened. Let's just pile them all up and fucking bury them. Like, no respect. No fucking, like, empathy, nothing. Like, nobody cared in the white community. And it's just like, how... How disgusting of a human being can you be, I guess, is my biggest question. I don't know. This makes me so mad. And it makes me even more mad knowing that, like, people in my community might not know about this. Only a handful of them might. And I feel like this is something that we need to be talking about. This is something our children need to be learning in school. This is where it starts. Like, hey, this happened in 1920. So we're going to make sure this never fucking happens again because we're going to teach it to you. We're going to make sure you understand the importances in the case and the story and the deaths. Like, ah. In the aftermath of the massacre, state and federal policymakers and the private sector were quick to describe the events as a rice riot, which enabled them to avoid responsibility to help rebuild the district. Instead, the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum explains that calling the massacre a riot was likely the pretext that insurance companies used to avoid paying out the money that the property owners were otherwise due. The Greenwood Cultural Center notes that in addition to insurance claims being denied, the district did not receive any rest any the district did not receive any rebuilding money from the local, state, or federal government. In fact, the surrounding white communities were openly hostile to the prospect of rebuilding Greenwood as evidenced by a Tulsa newspaper editorial that declared the old I'm not going to even gonna say the word, the old inward town must never be allowed in the Tulsa again, must never be allowed in Tulsa again, which is just like, I know I probably could have read that guys because it was in quotes and I'm reading from articles, but I'm not, I don't feel comfortable doing that at all. So um, I think most of you unfortunately know what that means. Against all odds, Greenwood's Black residents were able to pool their remaining resources to rebuild the district in just a few years, despite their lack of access to outside capital funds controlled by Jim Crow governments and banks, which is just like, yes, of course they did, like, because the Black community is literally unfucking stoppable They are so inspirational. They have always been in a place where they know that they have to do it by themselves so they fucking do and it's pitiful because our governments and federal and states absolutely should have been supplying these resources to them but they said you know what fuck you we're not going to sit around and wait on you guys to give us some fucking empathy we're going to do it ourselves and they fucking did which is something else that we've seen time and time again in history they go above and beyond to accomplish what they want to do with millions in property damage and no help from the city, the rebuilding of Greenwood began almost immediately, thanks to the assistance of the NAACP, other Black townships in Oklahoma, donations from Black churches, and a resilient Greenwood community. In 1925, only four years after the massacre, Greenwood hosted the National Conference of the National Negro Business League. The district continued to flourish throughout the 1940s. The Oklahoma Historical Society notes that during this period, the district boasted 242 Black-owned and Black-operated business establishments. 
Despite the progress in rebuilding Greenwood from the 1960s through the 1980s, a series of choices by white city planners destroyed the district again. This time in the name of urban renewal, quote unquote. The urban renewal movement was devastating for Greenwood as detailed by Human Rights Watch in their 2020 report recommending reparations. A mix of policies that included eminent domain, rezoning, and highway construction led to displacement and plunging property values, while racist policies prevented the injection of new capital into the community. So according to a 2001 report by Oklahoma Commission to study the Tulsa race riot of 1921, at least 1,256 homes were destroyed alongside churches, schools, businesses, and hospitals. Greenwood residents would go on to file over $1.8 million in damages, which in today's money would be over $27 million. All but one of these claims were denied. A white shop owner was given compensation for guns taken from his shop. Which is just like, of course, of course. Did we even wonder, did we even wonder whether that one compensation was going to be for anybody in the black community? I don't think so, unfortunately. A 2018 article in the American Journal of Economics and Sociology estimates that the direct financial impact of the 1921 massacre. If 1,200 medium-priced houses were in Tulsa and destroyed today, the loss would be around 150 billion. The loss would be around 150 million, the researcher wrote. The additional loss of other assets, including cash, Personal belongings in commercial property might bring the total to over $200 million. On October 19, 2020, archaeologists and forensic scientists found a mass grave site. That mass grave site contained at least 12 wooden coffins and was discovered just blocks from the historic all-Black community of Greenwood in Oklahoma. Archaeologist Carrie Stackelbeck described the burial site as a large hole into which several individuals had been placed in coffins. This constitutes as a mass grave. The site was also found in the area of the original 18, which was 18 African Americans who had been buried by a white funeral home and unmarked graves. The 18 were found due to a ledger. The ledger, one of the few paper documents that actually survived the massacre, wasn't discovered until 1998. It lists the names of 13 of the 18 Black people the funeral home buried. But in its apparent haste, the funeral home failed to identify five Black victims of the massacre that they buried that day. On Friday, June 25th, 2021, so literally about a week and a half ago, two weeks, Forensic scientists investigating the site discovered 35 graves were found, and from those graves, 19 individuals were taken for forensic analysts, nine of which have been completed. Five of those nine were juveniles, and the remaining four are adults, said forensic, said, said forensic anthropologist Phoebe Stubblefield, a descendant of a survivor of the massacre who's assisting in the search. She said one individual was an older female and the remaining adults ranged from 30s to 40s. Carrie Stackelbeck said that of the 35 graves, only one of them was marked and the rest have no record of name, age, or cause of death. Once scientific analysis of the bodies is completed, the Mass Graves Public Oversight Committee will recommend where to permanently bury the people. Kevin Ross, who is on the chair of the Mass Graves Public Oversight Committee and a descendant of the survivor, and a descendant of a survivor of the massacre, said the process was very sobering and a very powerful experience and that he hopes for more findings. There was no documentation of the few that we did find by the city or anywhere else, but I'm so happy that we did find these folks, Ross said. I'm anxious to put them in a proper rest. 
And on May 19th, 2021, the three known survivors of the 1921 race appeared before a committee on Wednesday, arguing that justice was far overdue. Lessie Benningfield Randall, who was 106, said that while testifying remotely by video at Wednesday's hearing, that as a six-year-old girl, she didn't think that she would make it out of the attacks alive. Now her name is being used to fundraise for others, and she waited too long for justice, she said. People in positions of power, many just like you, have told us to wait, she said. Others have told us it's too late. It seems that justice in America is always so slow or not possible for Black people, and we are made to feel crazy just for asking for things to be made right. Viola Ford Fletcher, who is now 107, said she remembered seeing the Black man being shot and bodies in the street. She could smell the smoke and hear the screams. She was seven at the time. I have lived through the massacre every day, she said. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. Hughes Van Ellis, Miss Fletcher's 100-year-old, Miss Fletcher's 100-year-old younger brother, said the survivors have been made to feel that they were unworthy of justice, that we were less valued than the whites. We aren't just black and white pictures on a screen, he said. We are flesh and blood. I was there when it happened, and I'm still here now. All of the committee members, Democrats and Republicans, rose for standing ovations after each survivor spoke. And that is, gosh, deep breaths, everybody. Everybody take a deep breath. Exhale. That is the Tulsa Race Massacre. That's, um, it's very deep. I encourage all of you to go watch some documentaries or listen to even more podcasts on this. There's definitely a lot more information than what I gave you, but I just had to kind of condense it for the episode, but it's awful. It's it's really, really awful. And I encourage, especially all of my white people to listen. Um, I encourage all of my white people listening, like share this episode with somebody in your family that maybe doesn't know this history or doesn't get it or doesn't doesn't understand in the way that you'd like them to send them this episode. This is 1921. This there's many, many events that took place just like this. This is just a major one that more people need to know about and more people need to be discussing. More people need to be breaking it down. We see history repeat itself over and over again. So let's make sure that we're part of the group that's keeping it from doing that. Let's make these changes. Let's be better people. Let's be more accepting. Let's be educating people on things that have happened in history so that we can keep them from happening again. It all starts with us. It really does. Um, Oh, gosh. That just really breaks my heart, that whole thing. My neighbor had actually been suggesting that I talk about this case for a while and um, almost like six months now, but I didn't get the chance to make sure that the notes were completed for it until last week. And just going through these notes, I was so heartbroken and baffled and confused and angry. And that is one twentieth of the things that black people feel that they go through every fucking day in this country, every fucking day. And it breaks my heart. So we're definitely going to have more cases like this where we're discussing things that have happened to people of color and what went wrong and what they should have actually fucking done and what we can do moving forward into 2022, even with these laws and (sighs) There's so much that I want to do on this podcast, guys. Like, I really wish that I could put that into words, but there's so much that I have planned, so much that I want to teach you guys, so much that I want to teach myself. I want us all to be on this journey together, learning and using what we learn in this podcast to literally change the world, to change people's hearts, to change people's mindsets, because we're all the same. We are literally all the same. So 
I guess that's um, my biggest piece of advice for this podcast episode. I'm sure you guys can hear my voice after doing those notes that my energy level just kind of fucking plummeted. I didn't even like, you know, normally in the cases, I'm trying to make little jokes here and there. But when it comes to cases like this, nothing's funny. Nothing's funny at all. Nothing is funny. It is sad, awful, heartbreaking, repulsive. I could think of all those words, but nothing's comical about stuff like this. So I wanted to give you guys this information as best I could. I know these last two episodes have kind of just been straightforward with information, but it's what we got to do sometimes, guys. The podcast isn't always going to be lighthearted. My murder podcast is not always going to be lighthearted. Can you guys believe that? Fucking crazy, right? Why did I sign myself over this? <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Please make sure you go rate and review. Share an episode with a friend. Check out the website. <sighs> All that good stuff. I'm hoping within the next six months, guys, that I'll be having these podcasts posted on YouTube so that you guys can actually watch if you want to watch and listen instead of just listen. So... Yeah, that's coming soon, too. Be on the lookout for that. I got to get a new camera because my fucking iPhone is always out of storage. Is anybody else's iPhone always out of storage? My iCloud storage is non-existent, I think. Non-existent. I don't know. I got to figure that out. So, yeah, just stay tuned, guys. We definitely have some exciting things coming up on the podcast. I am hoping to have a couple guests coming up as well soon where we'll have um, – double cases on episodes. So just be on the lookout. Thank you guys for listening. I'm so sorry. My energy levels fucking went away, but I'm hoping to get another episode out to you guys this week. Be on the lookout for that. Please make sure you're being nice to each other. Make sure that you're being understanding. And one thing I want everyone to understand is your perception and how you perceive something is not how other people perceive stuff. They could see it completely different. So please keep that in mind. We all perceive things very differently. We're all people, okay? We're all people. Just take a fucking step back, okay? Take a breath. Take a deep breath before you respond. Not every response needs to be respond. Not every reaction needs to be angry. So. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm I'm fucking stuttering at this point. Anyways, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that everybody enjoys their short week. And stay tuned for another episode later this week. Happy Monday, guys. Actually, it's Tuesday. You guys might hear this on Wednesday. I don't even know what the fucking day of the week is anymore.